now, your host. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Blix. And this is Trav. Welcome to the Tri-Tag Game Podcast, where we explore strange worlds, including Fringeworthy and Bureau 13 and many others. Thank you for joining us this week and every week as we explore all the different aspects of the different games produced by TriTech Games and try to make your game system, whatever it may be, an awesome game by the ideas that we have. This week, we're discussing creating bulletproof cover identities for your games. This is especially good for the games Fringeworthy and Bureau 13 and any modern investigatory or modern spy-type game, which would include Call of Cthulhu and Cyberpunk or in any of those other games. So we hope that this will be useful to you. Let's start with Fringeworthy and other exploration games. Fringeworthy. Now, we did cover this a little bit back in the beginning. We were first talking about Fringe Radio, those episodes. We're going to go over it again in the sense of saying, why is it that you need a cover identity? Why can't you just walk up and say, hi, we're from another world, and we're here to explore your world? Either get you into the loony bin or get you onto a lap table being dissected to find out how different you are. You can actually prove it. You need to test the waters, so you need a good cover identity. Uh, of some sort. Though, if you're going someplace blind, you may not know what that good cover is. The initial scouting really is going to help you in figuring out what's going to be a good cover identity for a world. So, the amount of information you have available to you when you plan your cover identity is going to be a major factor in determining how effective you can be at creating a cover identity. Now, Assuming that you really don't have much information, what other resources do you have? When you step to the portal, you'll know the language speaking at that time. So you'll be able to figure out, okay, what culture speaks this language? If you have the astronomy program on your laptop, you can sort of figure out where you are, at least latitude and longitude-wise. And if you take the language as another guy, you can actually position yourself kind of okay on a continent. So you know, okay, I'm in France, and the language is sort of like 16th century, so I'm going to need 16th century style clothing. What kind of jobs do they have back then? And that would at least give you a pointer as to how to dress and probably even how to act. Okay. Well, that wasn't what I meant, John, but thanks. I'll go with what you're saying. If you know kind of a culture, even in general, do you want to make sure that your cover identity goes in one of two ways? Either A, you're invisible. Nobody knows who you are. Nobody cares who you are, which means that you want a cover identity which places you at the bottommost part of the culture, yet not one that doesn't have mobility. Or you want the other route where you're a visiting noble or somebody with some real authority so that people will think twice before they get in your way. Though that can have some downsides too. 16th century, you can show up as a, it's a clergy. If you're in the wrong place in France, you may be on the wrong side of the Reformation at that point. So you have to be very careful with, with the position of authority, because authority always has counter-authority out there against it. But as you mentioned, John, being a member of clergy sometimes can give you a certain amount of protection against being attacked, because being a holy man of God, if you're dealing with believers, they would be afraid to do something like that for fear of their future disposition in heaven or hell. I mean, to kill a man of God, it's writing yourself a ticket to hell. That's true, but if you show up as a Catholic priest in a Protestant village, uh, the, I don't think they're going to have a problem killing you. That goes <laughs> to what you were talking about, about knowing what you're getting yourself into, even just a little bit. That would involve, if you're an IDET explorer, knowledge of history. If you figure out, okay, I'm in 16th century France, then I know, okay, by at least what I know of history, I need to at least have this, this, and this all straight before I go opening my mouth. Of course, if it's an alternate where, you know, history changed, then you're like, oh, you know, when you find out history went that way instead of this way, you're still taking a chance. But if you're following generally what you know of history, 
you can piece together something. Right. There's a lot of lessons that history can teach you about the way groups interact with each other that you can use in any sort of a situation, even if it's an alien one, to work it towards your favor. You can go the urchin route where you dress up like a bum. Or the untouchable. Right. Or the untouchable or like a leper victim, depending on what time period you're in and what region you're in. Say you're in the, uh, you know, you're in the 1500s, you could... You could dress up and make yourself look like you're diseased, and your disguise is the fact that nobody wants to touch you or get anywhere near you. Probably get the best makeup guys out there to create some easy-to-apply makeup make, that makes it look like you've got boobos and things on you that's, that just don't look right, and no one wants to get anywhere near you. And you have what? Boobos. Boobos. Those are the sores that are identifiable as the bubonic plague. Yeah. Ah, yes, where Ring Around the Rosie came from. Yes, okay. I'm, I think Bubos and I think the Mechanical Owl from Clash of the Titans. Hey, now. <laughs> I'm not hating. That's just the first thing I heard. When I, okay, I was not aware that they were called that. Fine. but Oh, yeah. Early 21st century makeup. Oh, yeah. From Earth Prime. Oh, yeah. They could do all sorts of disease marks and everything. Yeah, that would be very good idea. Yeah, what you're going to be interested in getting is some kind of a do-it-yourself kit that's so bulletproof that you can just simply go and, and put it together and follow simple instructions, and it produces reliable, consistent prosthetics. You know, you oh. don't want to have to have all of your people have to be trained in doing these kinds of things. It's better if you have, have these, as you refer to, these special effects expert guys put their work into actually creating these kits so that all the work is essentially done for you or done in such a way that you can easily maintain it. Simple latex appliances that you just glue and stick to your face and later on that day you just take them off and put them back in the little box and whatever. Right. Spirit gum is your friend, yes. Right. Yeah. Uh, and there are a number of computerized CAD cam kind of soft plastic things that might be able to be used in this kind of thing. If, if nothing else, they could be used for doing the painting aspect of it, where they could go over and spray all the different colors so it really looks authentic, and you don't have to be an artist in order to be able to do it. The only thing you got to do is just hit the uh, seam lines and you're done. And that's it. That's the only thing you have to do. Right. But remember also is that if you're playing somebody who is a leper or anybody with a contagious disease, nobody's going to try to get that close to you. Yeah. Actually, the person you have to worry about is, is when you run into another leper out there. He's going to come right up to you, give you a big kiss and a hug. And he's going to go, <laughs> what's this thing stuck on your face, buddy? Nice. When it comes off and he goes, what's this thing stuck on my face? Wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> ah. It was at your ear? Oh, man. He said, you remind me of my last wife. <laughs> and in the same direction, in a modern age, of course, that wouldn't work quite as well. I mean, yeah. nobody wants to touch somebody who's disgusting like that. But, but in the modern age, you'd be more likely to get away with it as a, a homeless person. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right now, if you were to step through an alternate into a quasi-1990s or, or even 2000s alternate of Earth in any place like North America or Europe, you could almost get away with just simply being a tourist, which is a great cover right there. Southeast Asia, that would work too, like China, Japan, mm -hmm. India, all those, any modern metropolitan area. Yeah, just don't speak the language. You know, that's not a problem. You can just say that, well, I learned it business trip, oh. you know, even better yet, you don't speak the language. You, yes, you're, you've been gifted the language, but don't use it. You're a tourist. You're, especially if you're American, you're an American tourist. There are some decent bluff roles to make it look like you're not picking up on what they're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Two skills for this in a big way that you need as far as D20 parlance, bluff and disguise. Not so much diplomacy and sense motive, but bluff and disguise. Yeah. Put those, any type of modifier you can get for that. If you're doing infiltration type work, like first contact on a fringe-worthy team, those two skills. Sense mode and diplomacy are useful. In fact, you should probably have them. Yeah, oh, no, I don't, I, I'm not downplaying them, but to make a decent cover mm -hmm. identity for both looks and background, bluff and disguise. For Savage Worlds, it's stealth and persuasion, or streetwise. Those three would come in handy. Because the way the system works, stealth covers disguise. 
Uh, Streetwise is for street interactions, and Persuasion is more personal one-on-one interactions. Okay. Right. Now, this is really great if all you want to do is go in and observe. But if you actually want to talk to people and get information from them, probably this kind of identity is not going to do you any good. No. Because they're not going to want to talk to you. You're someone who's invisible to them. It's when you want to actually interact with people that you have to start working with identities that are better. And what I want to suggest right here is is that the best identity you can have is an identity that someone gives you. If you're playing Fringeworthy and you befriend a local, you even let them know who you are and why you're there and you get them on their side, they can provide you with that bulletproof cover identity. This is John. He's my friend. He's my cousin. He's my uncle on my mother's side. He's just come over from the old country. And then all the people he has positive contacts with are now positive contacts for you. It's a really good reason why you want to pull that crystal out and do find Fringeworthy. Because if you can find the Fringeworthy person, they're the best contact to have. Because then you can bring them back with you if you need to. Well, you can certainly prove to them that you're not a crazy person if you can actually take them to the portal and show them the fringe pass. Yep, just shove them on through and, and fall after them. Right. Shove them. <laughs> yeah. But in any case where you have limited information or you have limited access and you want more, it's always better to co-op somebody who's a possible friend who would want to work with you for their own best interests. And that's where diplomacy comes in. That's where gather information comes in. And you should always try to cultivate these NPCs that you'll run into. Don't be afraid to, if you were playing a computer RPG, these would be people that have the side quests. You're like, why do I borrow the side quests? Well, in a real RPG, the side quests give you those kinds of contacts, gives you those kinds of allies that you can go and say, oh, you want to know who I am? I'm John's friend. You know John. He's like the pastor over on First Baptist. He'll, he'll back me up. And they're like, oh, you know John? Oh, all right. And sometimes that's all it takes. They won't look any further into your identity than that once you have one person that they trust and you're willing to let that person back you up. On Fridgeway, these are lessons learned over time. The first couple of contacts are really probably got botched, either entirely accidental or they were the wrong kind of contact and things went south. There's probably some portals we don't go through because they shoot us on sight. As time goes on, IDET's going to get bigger. There's going to be the United Nations International Survey Service. These are fringe-worthy who go to a world. And what they really do is they don't actually interact with the locals. They scout. They put listening devices here and there. They basically snoop to get information so that when someone like your team comes through, they have a diction, They have a book, an inch thick of, of stuff they need to know to operate in that world. Being an IDET explorer, the survey service would be invaluable for that. Now, if you're going into a world cold, yeah, then you need to know things like knowledge history and you need to have your bluff and disguise ready to think on your feet at a moment's notice. Okay, uh, let's see, the world is like this. Okay, let's try this identity and see if this works. A lot of times they were botched because these people were thinking on their feet and just, oops, what what do you mean history didn't go this way on this all? You're trying to backpedal, hence... A lot of times it goes south. We don't go to that world. That, that was a problem. <laughs> we need to wait at least a generation or two before we go back to that world. <laughs> well, you're really screwing things up if you've made it that bad. Oh, heck, it, it, the Golden Horde could have been just that world. If it wasn't for some fast-sucking IDET people. Right. And we would never be able to go back there until a generation, until at least the current con died. Right. The Golden Horde is a good example of really how to botch up a first contact because they ended up getting captured and having to tell the con about the fringe paths in order to get themselves released in, in a sort of a halfway ransom. So, yeah, so now the con knows where the fringe portal is. They can stand there and act as a, a gatekeeper. Now, as it turned out, the con was all for the idea of having communication with IDED, and it all turned out okay, but it could just have easily ended up with a squad of guys with uh, AK-47s or even a big stone encasement around the entire portal, so anybody who comes through is immediately arrested and subjugated to any possible kinds of invasive uh, exploration and interrogation. 
And that's where you're turning that portal off and saying, well, hopefully later on we'll be able to figure out how to relocate these things and move it someplace where people aren't trying to do that to us. Or a generation or two passes and we can go back. Well, you know, you know a generation is not going to do much if, if you're considered a black project and everybody knows what you are and they just keep paying them. It's a relatively small price to keep a squad of guys with machine guns aimed at the portal. Let's move on to Bureau 13 and other modern investigative type games. Oh, yeah. Here we're assuming that you're in a world where it's a known world. There may be some unknown things in the world. There may be some strange things that need to be uncovered. But you're essentially dealing with a world where you know what the lay of the land is. You know what the cultures are. You know what governments are, the, the main power centers. And you have to create an identity so that you can break into that corporation or you, can, you, you have to uh, talk to those people in that school or you have to go this place or that place and, and get information in a known world. So what kind of identities do you think would be the best ones to have? Trav? Let's say an investigation of some type. Yeah, we're assuming we're doing more of a modern investigation now. Like a crime scene, well, depending on the level of the crime, let's say a police detective. But you're not really a police detective. We're assuming that you are coming in as an outsider. Well, there is something in Bureau 13 that can help you in that. It's a device to help you at least have identification. It, it's the document forger, and I believe it is standard with all Colorado RVs, or you can just get it to carry it with you. Yeah. And it can help you make badges, uh, paperwork. Uh, heck, you could make up a warrant if you wanted to, you know, just to fool somebody. Um, so you have licenses, you know, federal licenses to carry that AK-47 you got. Yes, exactly. And, and right. uh, let's see, different types of occupations. Um, one that always I liked, I mean, if you're trying to get into somewhere and find out things, depending on the type of investigation. Well, I mean, obviously you can pose as an FBI agent or as a, a secret or not secret service. Uh, secret oh, service? Well, yeah, but I mean, Treasury, FEMA. Yeah, if you don't want to get shot inside in some places like New Orleans. Yeah, see, but FEMA, Federal Emergency Management Agency or something like that. Yes. Technically, I mean, if you really wanted to get in there and throw some weight around as a cover identity, FEMA is the only government agency technically that can suspend the Constitution. Didn't they get observed by another group? Not that I'm aware of. No, I think it was after New Orleans. They actually got swallowed by another group. After after Katrina, they actually did such a bad job, they actually got absorbed into another group, I thought. Okay, that's, that's news to me. But, I mean, if you were to be playing, okay, pre-Katrina, that could be a good cover yeah, right yeah. Well, even post-Katrina, whatever that organization right, is, right. they still yeah. serve the same purpose. Yeah. There are problems with using an FBI or a Secret Service or Treasury background is that if it's a crime scene investigation, local law enforcement really don't like when the FBI or the Treasury show up and start poking their noses in there. Oh, no, no. It would, it would have to depend on what the investigation is. I mean, obviously, yeah. if it's just a robbery and you pose an FBI agent, yeah, they're going to be like, what's an FBI agent doing here at a simple robbery? You know, let's say, like, some supernatural creature breaks into some place and steals something. You know, and if it's just a local thing and you're FBI, you know, right off the bat, oh, you know, red flags are going to be popping up left, right, and center. If, say, as long as the FBI or Treasury doesn't get involved in the crime, normally it will stay out of the papers until it's resolved. But FBI shows up, Treasury shows up, all of a sudden the press shows up. Good cover identity is a reporter for, you could just say it's for mm -hmm. a small paper or something. The papers can be your best resource because they come up and they say, hey, what's the FBI's interest in this? And then you turn around and say, well, I'll tell you what, if you will give us a little bit of latitude 
we will give you an exclusive. And then they can turn around and actually feed you information that you need. Yeah. So it, it just depends on handling these people. One of the sample teams we have in, in the D20 book, Team Fremont, they actually run a real newspaper. They actually do have jobs as reporters. And it's, that's one of the best covers is a cover that's real. I mean, they work as reporters for a small independent newspaper in the Fremont neighborhood of Seattle. It's a hard cover to crack when it's real. But it also gives them the chance to go places and investigate and have a legitimate reason why they want to do right. it. Right. Plus, when you interview people, everybody wants to be a star. Everybody wants yeah. to be on the news or in the paper or whatever. That's a fame, yeah. And they'll let their guard down and they'll talk about stuff that they either they shouldn't talk about or they won't be as questioning when you start asking them about things. Like maybe it's not something they shouldn't be talking about, but they're not going to take notice that you're from another world. You know, you're, you're not really supposed to be there. Their guard will be down. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been one of my sayings watching all these various travel log TV shows where a man and a film crew can get just about any place. Right. Well, I agree that the saying that you're doing a documentary on one thing or another, or you're an independent filmmaker, yeah, that's a good idea. But as far as your idea, John, uh, or actually you know, your reference to Team Fremont, as much as I think that's a great cover, however, since it is an established business and it is a persistent business, it also means that when you run into a super another counter agency you've just put a huge target on yourself and it's just a matter of time before they bring the boom down on you oh, oh yeah okay that's the problem with regional teams though regional teams are always going to have that problem because a regional team is stuck in place well a regional team doesn't necessarily advertise their existence that's true like team fremont does hey i'll tell you guys you know what another good one is in the past, I worked for HVAC companies, uh, engineering companies, and we had to take measurements on things. We also did plumbing and electrical work. It really amazed me at all the places I could get unwatched if I put a roll of drawings under my arm and a hard hat on and a clipboard and just walked through and told people, yeah, I'm checking the duct work. It's, uh, you know, because duct work is always problematic. No matter where you go, no matter what building you're in, even if it's brand new, there's always problems with the heating or the cooling. You know, somebody in this cubicle is too hot. Somebody in that cubicle is too cold. And if you go through and you tell them, yeah, I'm checking the ductwork. Uh, the company's been having some problems and we're, you know, we're investigating it. Most people will, won't even question that. And on top of that, you generally have to get in and look through the ceiling. So you're lifting ceiling tiles and dust and stuff is falling out. I can't tell you how many people's offices I've walked into and asked them, hey, can I get up and look in the ceiling? I'm, I'm looking at the ductwork. And I start lifting ceiling tiles, and they will leave their office, and they'll tell me, yeah, just come get me when you're done. Now, that's not going to work in really super secure places like the sheriff's nope. department or, or the FBI building. Or a hospital. Or a ho Well, no, it, it, it could work in a hospital, depending, depending. You're not going to get in the narcotics room. You're not going to get on the military base at all. But if you want to find out information on somebody and you happen to find out who their lawyer is, you go to their law firm you could probably get into their records there. So basically, you'd go into this person's office, you'd start digging around in the ceiling, that person would get up and leave, and you've got all the time in the world to look through their files because they have no idea how long it's going to take you. So I would say that, you know, like posing as an engineer or a construction worker is an awfully good cover. Yeah, yeah especially if the guy is forgetful when he leaves his office and doesn't lock down his computer. They don't. John, they rarely ever do. They'll want to get the heck out of there. They're not, you know, just because I don't want this stuff falling on me. And they, I don't want to be breathing this stuff. Down. They're not going to sit there and say, okay, let me kick in, you know, yeah, you know yeah. this. Plus, it's an opportunity for them to go hang out by the water cooler or, or you know, have a smoke or get a snack or something. Uh, another one to get into buildings, janitors. Yeah, that, yeah. That whole, uh, what Bruce talked about, the untouchable people. There's a lot of times people just don't want to be around janitors because of things that they got to deal with and touch. And they're just like, okay, you do what you got to do. I will be over here. Again, get away to go to the water cooler. <laughs> or if you're in a building at night checking out something, night janitor, who's going to suspect a night janitor? Does? An apartment complex, if you're checking out somebody's apartment. If you're dressed up like a superintendent, you got the, you know, the uniform, you know, the, the Cintosh uniform. You're good to go. You can go pretty much anywhere in that complex. Or if you're going to a complex, 
you can actually dress up as the cable guy. Hey, I'll tell you this. Uh, one of the things that you mentioned before about not getting on a military base, now that's true now. Mm-hmm. But prior to 9-11 – um, now I, I didn't. I work on a military base now as a government contractor. And prior to 9/11, uh, the guys there told me that they didn't use to check IDs or anything. People would just drive through. Uh-oh. So if you're in pre-terrorism America, most military bases are fairly easy to get onto. Nowadays, no, not so much. But you're surprised though. Uh, a lot of doors that are listed as secure, yes, they're secure, but not to a person with, with telekinesis. Because they'll have the voice print, the retinal scan, the card swipe, but use a simple solenoid lock on the door. So if you're telekinetic, you just reach and grab the solenoid and push it back and you can open the door up. <laughs> right. Well, good skill in breaking and entering can sometimes defeat a lot of different things. Another possibility is a delivery person. I spent 10 years uh, working a pizza store and I was amazed at all the different places I could go and nobody ever questioned whether I should be there. If your character is wiry and going on a bicycle, bicycle messenger in various major cities also works. And it's relatively easy, by the way, going back with my idea with the pizza delivery. All you have to do is look up at a directory of just a little bit of basic research into the place you're going to and find out the guy who owns the place or, or you know, the, the, one of the higher officers and just put that name on the order. Oh, got an order for so-and-so. And they says, well, he's not here. Oh, I says, well, it's not for him. It's for his secretary. Oh, we'll go right on up. Yeah, nobody's going to turn you away. You're breaking them. Well, it's already been paid for. Is, the, is, is there someplace I can take it? you got a break room? And before you know it, you know, you've got people leading you around the place, trying to find a good spot where there's lots of access, calling their buddies, giving you more names to work with. You know what? Let's say you, uh, you have a, a little person on your team. And you're a FedEx guy. You know, you could drop a package off, and your package could have a little guy in it with a little door. And I'm not trying to be funny. I'm serious. You could literally drop someone off inside the building. Yeah. Actually, with, with the 13th pocket technology, leave a, a thin envelope that's about the right size in the office, and it opens up, and you come out of the 13th pocket inside the envelope. Yeah, th- this is a Bureau 13 item. John, would you like to explain that to the people who don't play Bureau 13 yet? The 13th pocket, it, it's like a bag of holding. It's bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. And several of the bureau uh, bags and items have this 13th pocket, which can only be opened up by a, a bureau agent. You, you have a handbag. You look inside, can't find anything. Then they turn around, reach down, unzip the 13th pocket, and pull out the ladder out of the handbag. It's a bag of holdings that some agents have in their gear. So I can conceivably see this as a... Uh, Way to sneak in. You mail yourself in in an envelope. Or you can attach this to a legitimate package as like a pouch that you could put some paperwork in, and it gets delivered, and you make it a big enough box that they just can't toss it easily into the trash. They have to set it aside in their office. Then you can open up that pouch later on. Things can come out, open doors for you. When you get inside, now you have all the equipment you need in a place, or you can actually have something to put stuff into later on. You fill it up with something that's there, and then someone decides to take out the trash. They take your box, they take it out to the trash, which is an unsecured location, and you go over to the empty box that you attach it to, rip off your 13th pocket bag, and just walk off with it. No one's going to think twice about it. Oh, look at him. He's recycling. Big deal. Yeah, you, you could just fold it up and put it into another container and mail it out using their own mailing system. I just had a frightening thought. It's like doing that envelope. And the 13th pocket, and they decide, okay, we're going to get rid of the envelope. Where's the shredder? Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I just, I had a shudder down my spine as soon as I think the envelope off of the shredder. Ooh. Now, when I think about dealing with people on a more individual basis, like, you know, talking to your normal Joe, you know, in a neighborhood or something like that. Uh, one of the identities I always like to use is the uh, Department of Human Services, otherwise known as child care, you know, type defenders. The people yeah, that, CPS. yeah, the, the people that look out for people abusing children. And mm-hmm. you can walk around, and all you have to do is, you know, you start asking people questions, and they stop wanting to cooperate with you, and you just say, you know, I noticed like some some bruises on your child. How'd that happen? And all of a sudden, these people are more than willing to give you more information 
just to get you moving along. <laughs> or if you say, well, I'm in the neighborhood, you know, I'm, I'm t- and I want to know about so-and-so who was part of an incident, and he's got kids, and his kids have a problem, and you're talking to their neighbors, well, the neighbors are going to be interested about maybe so-and-so's doing something bad with their kids. And because you come in with this veneer of respectability from this government agency, they're going to talk to you about private personal things that they probably wouldn't talk to, like, say, a reporter. Generally speaking, the people in these kinds of things, and you know, even if they take action against them legally, they still pretty much keep it on the QT. This doesn't stand alone. You're going to have a team. You're going to be talking to the person. You're going to be making insight checks or whatever it is in your system to how they're reacting. If all of a sudden they start acting suspicious, then it could be that they're involved, or as you say, it could be that they're a child abuser and... Uh, you may end up having somebody come clean on you or even talking about that, that they got abused when they were a child and that could create a whole situation that your players were never expecting to deal with. That's up to the players, that's up to the GM, that's up to the campaign. But I, I'm yeah. saying is that from the standpoint of my experience as a realistic cover, it's one that I found has been very useful. Playing a clergy, anytime you play somebody that's trustworthy, playing a a fireman as a cover identity because he's somebody who looks out for everybody's safety. He's a hero. He rescues people. You say things like, well, you know, I was noticing that there was like some uh, paint containers around the back of that building. Is that a secure location? Have you noticed like any kind of strange, you know, cans or things like that? And people will tell you stuff that you would never expect because you're in a position where they can trust you. And that's what you always want to do. You want to do things to generate trust in the person that you're talking to or intimidation, depending upon the route you're going, which is why I suggested the family and children's service, because it does both. You can go either way. Your boy, Mike, uh, was it Bronkowski? Yeah. OSHA. Yeah, OSHA. Another good one if you want to get in places because that intimidation factor, you know, like Bruce was saying about firemen go into a building, it's like, oh, what's this? Wait a minute. This is not supposed to be stored here. This is a highly flammable thing that you've got stored here. I'm going to need to go in there and check around and see what else you've got going. And then, of course, they're not going to tell you that you can't go somewhere if you are if you say yeah. you're OSHA and you prepare ahead of time with the document forger and crank out yeah. the proper ID. You'll, be in, you'll get in everywhere because I, at my job, I work in an auto parts warehouse. We have to deal with OSHA. We have to deal with MSDSs, which are... Um, material safety data sheets which has all the chemical stuff for everything that i have and i deal with a lot of chemicals in my job uh lacquers paints uh solvents if you walk in say you're osha oh you've got carte blanche in a place because they they will give you any and all access to whatever you need as long as you can pertain it to the safety of the people in the building yeah yeah and 013 uh john put in the character mike bronkowski who was an OSHA person who had to adapt to bureau things. Okay, how is this going to affect the bureau people that they're working with, these strange substances and whatnot? So, yeah, that's another good cover is OSHA. Any cover identity that you have that can generate trust in another person in any way is always good because if you get people on your side, like I said, they give you the identity that you need. Hi, we're from the General Accounting Office. We're here to do your books. That gives you access to the computers at that point. Now you're using fear tactic. It's only good for government offices or government contractors. It's not good for anyone else. Presenting yourself as a movie company, saying I'm a showrunner or I'm a location scout. We'd like to go and scout out your property. We're willing to pay $5,000 a day for use of your property as as a movie shoot. Would that be okay? Well, most people are going to say, yeah, that would be fine. (laughs) They'll get behind you. Anytime that can do something that is perceived as an advantage to the person, then they're going to be really helpful. If you're a middle to large corporation of any kind, and that includes universities, and you can walk into almost any office and say, hi, I'm from Tech Services. Uh, We've traced a uh, computer virus to your IP address. I'm going to have to look at your computer and get it cleaned out. You can go in the whole fear tactic that we were talking about with, say, the IRS or whatever. You get your team some hazmat suits, and you get your techie or whatever to rig 
a Geiger counter just so the thing is just going crazy most of the time, or he, or he has a button he can hit that uh-huh. will send it to go crazy. You enter the building like gangbusters looking around. Nobody's going to get anywhere near you, and they're going to get away from wherever it is you go. Well, it's true. That would be what I would use at the end game when you track down where the thing is that you really want and you're closing in on it. That would be a good tactic there because it clears out all the, you know, the, the collateral damage as far as people is concerned. Actually, instead of rigging a fake Geiger counter, you rig, you rig a Carillion detector to sound like a Geiger counter. You, you rig up a what? A Carillion detector. What, what is that? What? In Ghostbuster, they refer to them as a PK reader. Yeah. Oh, so like an EM de- detector. Yes. Okay, so that thing goes off like crazy. You put it in a refrigerator, it goes nuts. In the Bureau 13 parlance, it only reacts to supernatural energy. I find this funny. We're talking about a curling detector to the resident skeptic on the pod. This is funny. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm like, what is that? Right. No, actually, yeah. the curling detector, you know, I mean, it, it's built into the shades, I believe, the Bureau 13 shades. In the books, they were. The shades are just simply Carillion Aura detectors. They just show you auras. The Carillion detector has been in the book for years. Yeah, yeah. It's a PK meter. Let you know if you're getting close to uh, supernatural entities and so forth. Yeah, it also picks up any kind of an unusual energy pattern, like what you might find from like some kind of strange radiation or possibly even like a dis- disembodied intelligence that was purely science fiction or you know, psionic or, or anything like that. That's what it's for. These are some pretty good general purpose identities and techniques for covers. Now, if you had the resources of, let's say, a modern investigative type agency, and you wanted to go and create some cover identities, what would be the process that you would go through? What do you think, Blix? First, you have to figure out where you're going and and what exactly your mission is. So if you're talking, if it's Bureau 13 and you want to be able to get in anywhere then you're going to want to pick some agency that you can figure that's going to get you access everywhere you want to go. So, for example, let's take the IRS. So what you'd want to do is you'd want to find out what an IRS agent's badge looks like, and you'd want to get one of those. So you have your forgers make that up. You'd want to make sure that everybody on the team has done their research to know exactly what rights they have and what rights they don't have. Do some research going to the agency and talking to people, having, you know, having questions, and get some real agents' names so that you can throw around some real names. So if somebody calls and says, you know, agent such-and-such such was here the other day. Yeah, yeah, he's one of our better agents. You want to make sure that the, the people who are doing the talking are skilled in being able to bluff. So you, you would establish your contact people and your cover people, like your people that would cover right. them. You want to make sure your team is, is put together with roles that will support this effort. He who can talk well will be the talker, and he who can fight well and not talk so well will be his backup in case stuff goes wrong. One thing that I have used is I've used a combination of the DMV and the IRS. And what you do is that you interface these, these two systems together, and you find people who match yourself physically. If you actually find an identity that looks like you, then you're 90% of the way there. You don't even have to worry about makeup and stuff like that or the wrong height or the wrong weight. I mean, with those huge databases that they have, look uh, on your driver's license, you've got weight, you've got height, you've got eye color, uh, you've got a picture, so you can match it up using a, a, an algorithm to match your features to their features. And then if you match that up to the IRS and a lot of times you, you can't. I don't know how much you can do it these days, but it used to be that a lot of states used your Social Security number as your driver's license number. So you had a really easy match between those two systems. And there you would have like their home address, you'd have their spouse, you'd have their children, you know how much they made. It was relatively easy to compile a really good identity because you're literally stealing their identity. And then you can go in as them with a lot of credentials. You know, you can go that extra step and you can hire a private investigator to get more information about those people. You have a contact, rather, who's good at identity theft. And you just you go that step and you actually steal their identity. You become them. Right. If you can do that, then you have a bulletproof identity. 
especially if it's somebody from out of town who's not going to be easy to contact. I mean, why would they? They got you right in front of you. But they're, and if they call their supervisors, it's like, well, I don't know why he's over there, but yeah, he works for us and he's so-and-so and he looks just like you're describing. And can you put him on the phone? At which point you can just kind of go, you know, I'm not really supposed to be here. Don't tell him. <laughs> That's where your cover story comes in, depending upon the situation. Or maybe you get on the phone and you bluff it or all of a sudden the phone goes dead. Pull out your little uh, cell phone interrupter and it breaks the call. I'm sorry, the the call dropped. He's not on the phone anymore. I guess guess he got called away. In the old days, you had the intercepts. So there'd be someone in in the Colorado RV waiting to intercept the call. Yeah, you'd have some kind of a phone freaker device that would redirect any call from the phone system over to your phone. And... Phone systems are just computer systems. A good hacker can get in there and say, well, anytime someone calls this number, then it's, it's automatically going to be called forwarded to this number. And that person may never even know that. You're in there doing this. The system would probably accept it because a lot of people have call forwarding. They don't know it's turned on. Or even better yet, if, if you're in the car RV with, within the cell phone cell area, you turn to a cell tower and you get the call directly. I was going to mention about the document designer. The nice thing about the document designer is that for just about any state or federal document you need to fake, probably have a standard set of forms, and they're real federal forms. They got the right watermarks. They got the right boxes that's supposed to be checked. Uh, they got the the right uh, bad spelling in the you know in the, in the in the poor fonts that look like they've been mimeographed. I mean, and these are the official forms. These are the way they really are. If you are a permanent state team, like for Washington, it'd be Team Fremont. For Michigan, it'd be Team Candlestick. You would automatically have this, the, the proper forms and watermarks and all that for that state. Team Candlestick could crank out a Michigan driver's license or a, a, a state ID for something up in Lansing mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. something from the Secretary of State for uh, you know some form. They would be given that stuff automatically just as a matter of where they are. They would, you know, I mean, for them not to have them would be stupid. You know what the most important rule to surviving this and doing this well is, right? It's the KISS rule. Keep it simple, stupid. Don't make a big, crazy, elaborate story. Right. Because the second you're challenged on it, if you've got all these details and convoluted things, you're bound to fail. If your ID requires you to be able to do multiple intercepts of cell phone and landline calls and having people in place in various locations to verify your your ID, uh, you're going to miss the guy who pulls out his cell phone and calls the bureau agent directly. Hey, John, it's a role-playing game, so you're only one failed skill roll away from screwing the whole thing up. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) So as part of your cover, you should always include what's going to happen when your cover is blown. Yeah. You know, what's our fallback? What is our contingency? If you go in there with no contingencies, then you're definitely not going to succeed. So one of the things that I always tell people is, and, and a lot of players don't like this, is don't commit your entire team to being face people. You know, have some of your people be background people doing things like working the computers, doing research, stuff like that. Then if some people find that their identities aren't working, then they can fall back into the support mode and you can bring these other people forward with new identities that maybe are more appropriate now that you've gotten more information. Right. If you get arrested, you find how good the bureau's lawyers are sometimes. Right. That's one of the rules, which is is that, you know, don't get caught. And my rule is always don't stay caught. Yeah. We go to plan B. What's plan B? My hand grenade. That's J.P. Withers' solution. <laughs> Say, well, it's like the, the one thing, uh, was it 1,500 things Mr. Welsh can't do in a role-playing game? <laughs> plan B is not necessarily twice as much gunpowder as plan A. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there are people here that we won't mention any names, but I might disagree with that. <laughs> yeah. Commitment to your goals is really good. You can support each other in not only your cover, but also in your fallbacks and showing up as the police to arrest the guy who's impersonating somebody. But the people who are showing up to arrest are actually part of your team. It's also a good way to get people out of trouble. Oh, I got you, Bruce. So you have like two or three guys going in as cops, but you have a couple other guys who were dressed as cops. And when they call the police, 
your backup comes in and arrests you. Right. And takes you out of the building. Exactly. Ah, that's pretty good. I like that. It's like John Crichton said on Farscape. Always have your exit plan before your entrance. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Someone gets injured. That ambulance that pulls up is staffed by your team members. And it's full of all kinds of unusual gear that could be something more than it appears to be. You just pull up with the sirens going, and all your guys rush in and go up to the place that they need to go to, to get information. Right. I mean, it's like if you just need a snatch and grab of files. Right. It has to be fast. It has to be you know one of those really quick penetration kind of things because it, that sort of thing attracts a lot of attention. People aren't afraid to come up to EMTs. They want a rubberneck. There's also what I call the quick IDs. You need to get into a building. Delivery guy is a great way to get into the building. Once you're in the building... You yank off the delivery uniform and dress it like a, one of the uh, mindless drones working in that office building. You're not going to use that ID in that place. You can use that ID just to get you in. And you can use one cover going in to distract the people at the front desk to let the other guy get past who can then go on and use his identity to get further along. Daisy chaining these quick covers to get you further and further in with each person opening the way for the next person to come along. They hit you and they say, you're not FBI. And you look around and say, no, I'm not FBI. And you pull out the NSA badge. I'm not this. I'm something worse. And I'm not that. I'm something worse than that. Finally, you say, well, actually, I work for the local mob. <laughs> <laughs> wow, make that hole deeper, man. You go big or go home, right? <laughs> yeah. You're going to go down in flames hitting something big. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> if your cover is blown, the best thing to do is to have another identity to immediately pull out that's even more impressive than the first one. You want them to stop thinking. Now that they know that you're a fake, then you have to say, well, yeah, I was a fake that, but I'm really this, and this is why. And have a, a cover story set up and have some contingencies going, and here's some bona fides for this, especially if it's totally off in left field somewhere. I'm with the State Crime Division, Department of Justice, the Southwestern Book Club. <laughs> the RIAA? Yeah, I mean, this is what, what $100,000 of violation, possibly? They show up at my door and I'm running. If you're not stealing small, you're stealing big. The only way that we find nothing is when somebody's got something to hide and they're making sure that everything is perfect. Sometimes the best cover of all is no cover at all. You just go in you start asking questions and you say, who are you? Interested third party. And don't bother going more than that. You're just looking around, checking things out, and you're just a rubbernecker, and you don't need any ID. You're just there looking. We're talking high-level characters now in most role-playing games with huge bluffs, huge diplomacy yeah. that allow them to pull that kind of stuff off. Yeah. Literally your face character who can charm the bird out of a snake's mouth. <laughs> when that happens, the whole table comes alive. And I think everybody should have that experience and go for the big stuff. But... If that doesn't work, have your fallback. <laughs> okay. you know, don't ruin your game just because you want to have a moment in the sun. I would recommend that you try to use a backup plan that actually co-ops the people that are around you into helping you continue your investigation. The best job is where they never even knew you were there. If you're going to make a cover identity, I recommend always that you try to pick one that's going to be most accepted as possible by the people that you're dealing with that will give yeah. you the information or the access that you're really trying for. If you can look exactly like somebody who works there through some kind of disguise, then that's a great cover identity. Okay, But if you have to do something else, well, then you work with what the game provides you and the, and the resources that it gives you. But always... Keep in mind that you're part of a team, you're part of a table, and try to make sure that you give the other people around you something to do, some way of supporting you so they are invested in what's going on, and then you turn around and support them when it's their turn. Find the Mission Impossible TV series. That's what they did every episode was infiltrate places with the cover IDs. Trapman with Sean Connery and Catherine Zeta-Jones, but there was a movie. The Thomas Crown Affair with uh, Pierce Brosnan, <laughs> Rene Russo, and Dennis Leary. TNT's Leverage. They're a good example of how a team with diverse yeah. talents work together, sometimes changing up the roles that they normally would play. That's one of the ways you can change things up is by playing against your type. 
whatever your character is, making a cover identity be something where you can exhibit qualities that are completely different than what it is that you're trying to do. Now, of course, you, you want your character to be able to play that. I mean, you don't want to say, I'm, I'm going to be a really strong guy and you've got like an eight strength. But somebody who's got an 18 strength who isn't all bulky up can act like somebody who's just a computer nerd who doesn't have a lot of physical strength, but he really does. Someone who's big in acrobatics, for example, can have a lot of physical strength and look very wiry and thin. You know, the same way is that somebody who's yeah. got really good verbal skills can be the person who comes in as the, the guy who doesn't talk. And then when he has to suddenly change into a new identity, slap on some face uh, application, pull off that jumpsuit, and you're a totally different person. They'll never recognize you. And don't forget, if you work for the Bureau, the Bureau does have pre-made identities that you can, you can use. I almost want to say they're almost all one-offs. Once you use them, they can't be used again, but you're almost guaranteed to get a bonus on them because the Bureau has put them together with experts who are, do, do this for a living. But they're almost always going to be one-offs because once you use them, they're no longer any good for anyone else. Also, uh, yeah, well, yeah. also in the Bureau agent class, I believe there is a class feature that create background and it gives you bonuses, especially if you have the forgery skill. And I believe it gives you a plus two to the whole thing if you could whip up the proper documentation to it's probably equal to your agent level it's one of those things where the higher the level you are the more bonus it gives you well as you can see that cover identities and and these kinds of things are really important in a lot of the modern investigatories uh type games spy games cyberpunk corporate crime kind of things. And these identities can really make or break the success of your missions. There's a lot of ways you can go about it, but the main thing is, is that remember you're on a team and everybody needs a day in the sun and you, if you all cover each other's backs and you plan ahead and you get the most information you can before you start and you work the resources that are made available to you, you'll do fine. Just be careful out there. But until next week, this is Bruce Sheffer, a.k.a. Pastor Gill, a.k.a. Gil Roberts, Child Protective Services. This is John Ryer, a.k.a. Tim Smith, a young man in the wilds of Michigan. And this is Blix, a.k.a. Ridley Scott, Sergeant Ridley Scott. And this is Trav, a.k.a. Daniel Stewart, P.I. <laughs> Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial distribution or derivatives are allowed. The TriTech Podcast is wholly owned by TriTech Games. Visit us at www.tritechgamers.com or on Facebook. Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.